Welcome to What Christians Should Know, hosted by Dr. Elijah Sadoffel. This podcast equips you with clarity and meaningful answers about God, the Bible, and your Christian life. Now, here's Dr. Sadoffel. I will begin by reading something recorded by the Apostle of Hope, the Apostle Peter. In 1 Peter 4, verses 12 to 16, the text says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing, so that also at the revelation of His glory you may rejoice with exultation. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Make sure that none of you suffers as a murderer, or a thief, or evildoer, or a troublesome meddler. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, he is not to be ashamed, but is to glorify God in this name. What God is communicating to us here is that suffering, trials, and ordeals are a normal part of the Christian experience. This is a statement that is very easily said, but on the surface, it offers no real human comfort in the midst of suffering. After all, flesh and bones people don't need cold scientific explanations or lessons on doctrine when they are hurting. They need comfort, a hand to hold, and a sympathetic shoulder to lean and cry on. 1 Peter 4, 12-16 contains truth and hope that cannot just be read. It must be read, lived, refined, and then treasured in the heart. That is when these words become real and animate a steadfast source of hope. With that being said, what often makes times of strife so difficult is that people do not know why they are suffering. Many mature Christians never secure an answer to why their trials are happening, but they have walked with the Lord for so long, they are able to stand firm in hope based on God's promises. They are able to do so because they know God, they trust God, and are certain that God is in complete control. But what about people who do not know God? What about people who do not trust God or have a very small amount of faith? What about people who are not certain that God is in complete control? When they ask the question, if God, why suffering, and then reject God, how can you respond? I will provide one possible answer. Granted, this is not the only answer, nor is this response all-inclusive. What I hope is that this response will provide some clarity for some people in particular situations. So, the dilemma before us are those who reject God in times of suffering. A plausible answer is actually a question. That question is, if the problem you have is the existence of suffering with God, does it comfort you to know that suffering still exists without God? You see, many people look out at the world around them and see lots of bad. They then begin to wonder how all of this bad can exist with God in charge. That wonder is based on the assumption that God is good, but that's a whole different story. The point is that most people have a deeply ingrained sense that God is synonymous with good, and therefore they are unclear as to why he allows suffering to exist. But here's the thing. If someone rejects God because of suffering, guess what still exists after they reject God? The suffering. 
Turning away from God then doesn't solve any problems. It does not change the situation. It neither gives them an explanation for the suffering, nor does it give them a means to deal with the suffering. It only gives someone a superficial, half-baked answer to a deep, pressing human problem. Rejecting God in suffering may seem like an easy escape, but it actually makes matters worse. That is, if a person is having a hard time figuring out life with God, then why would they think things would get easier if they tried to figure things out without Him? If God is not real, then reality is happenstance. Things don't happen for a reason, things just happen. This means suffering happens simply because things happen and the cold, indifferent universe could care less. If God is not real, then neither is morality and people are free to do as they please. This means that people can do horrific things and cause lots of suffering, but no one can truly label their behavior as immoral. If God is not real, then human suffering has no real meaning or purpose because the people who are suffering have no meaning or purpose. They are merely pawns who lost the battle of the will to power. In a reality without God, all is vanity, meaning everything is just a mist or a vapor that is here one moment and gone the next. In the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon entertains the idea of a world without God. He says in Ecclesiastes chapter 4 verses 1 to 4, Then I looked again at all the acts of oppression which were being done under the sun. And behold, I saw the tears of the oppressed, and that they had no one to comfort them. And on the side of their oppressors was power, but they had no one to comfort them. So I congratulated the dead who are already dead more than the living who are still living. But better off than both of them is the one who has never existed, who has never seen the evil activity that is done under the sun. Again, less God, nobody has an explanation for and a reliable way to deal with suffering. Hence, turning away from God in seasons of strife is actually self-destructive. In turning away, the person still has to deal with the suffering, but has less options available to deal with it. So all of that deals with the mental aspect of rejecting God in suffering. But it cannot be overlooked that human beings do not behave based on what is in their heads. They behave based on what is in their heart. So what characterizes a heart that turns away from God in times of suffering? At its core, it is a heart that simply cannot trust God. It's a heart that cannot trust Him because He is alien. It's a heart that cannot trust Him because it does not have a deep, intimate relationship with Him. It's a heart that may lash out and utter harsh words against God that it otherwise would not say. It's a heart that may perceive reality as darker than what it actually is and is unable to see the morning that follows the dark night of the soul. This is the heart that will say things like, Where is God right now when I need Him the most? As it says in Job 6.26, The person with this heart is not someone to be reproved. Their affliction induces them to react to the situation, but the situation will soon change. One of the best things we can do is simply remain close to and comfort the one in trouble. We may simply just need to be silent and realize that sometimes the words that a person speaks does not necessarily express what they actually believe in their heart. What is actually speaking is the pain. 
So, genuine biblical love longs for heart restoration, not to reprove the person who is suffering. Consequently, what real people really need in times of suffering, then, is not an intellectual analysis of their situation. What they need is to feel. They need to feel that they can trust in the Lord because He is trustworthy, loving, caring, and gracious. They need to take ownership of the reality that this is why God sent His Son in search of suffering humanity. God revealed Himself to us so that we could know Him, trust Him, and have relationship with Him. God takes suffering so seriously that He suffered for us on an old wooden cross. What sufferers must embrace is that Jesus Christ suffered more than any human being can ever imagine. He was completely innocent, but he suffered spiritually, psychologically, and physically. He was despised by his people, forsaken, and betrayed by his disciples, and killed by those people he came to save. At his death, he was drowning in shame and tears. Jesus had a crystal clear explanation for why he was suffering. He was suffering for our sin. He was suffering for the sin that you and I committed so that we wouldn't have to die for our transgressions. On the cross, Jesus felt so abandoned, he even cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus was forsaken by God to atone for sin. But because he was already forsaken for us, this means no one who suffers has to be forsaken by God. By faith in Christ, believers are already united to the Messiah, so when they lean on him for comfort and strength in suffering, they have a sympathetic ear. They have an eternal, living source of confidence. Our hope is not dead because our Redeemer lives. In times of suffering, God does not speak to our minds. He speaks to our hearts. He seldom gives us a clear explanation for why. He does better. He promises to uplift, nurture, and sustain us in the suffering so that in the end our trials will work for us and not against us. He refines us so that the trial ends up being a means to glorify the Lord. Hebrews 4, 15-16 says, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. If you would like to hear more about what the Bible says about suffering and how to deal with it, a three-part episode already exists. The episode number is 0.4, and the three dates are October 4th, November 4th, and November 11th, 2016. When a person has a relationship with the Lord and abides in Christ, they know they may never have a clean explanation for why their suffering exists, but they do know that in Christ, suffering is never for nothing, and our precious Lord is the one who will stand with us in trials to comfort, to console, and to strengthen us. Thank you for listening. For more valuable resources, including a bookstore and online Bible study, visit wcsk.org.